Yeah, here. We're fine. <laughs> I don't think I got that. That's okay. Welcome to Get in the Garage. Today we're going to talk about how it's like kissing a woman. <laughs> Already <laughs> off the rails. Already <laughs> off the rails. <laughs> You're two seconds in. That's okay. That's my Miles Davis impression. Welcome to Get in the Garage. It's a really bad Miles Davis impression. But today we're going to be talking about jazz. Introductory jazz albums. I think this is going to be a good one, though, because we did stuff off the beaten path, I feel. Yeah. We didn't go with the kind of blue. We didn't go with the blue train, you know. There's no blue in here. There's no blue. Well, the cover of that one's blue. Well, there is blue. L- literally, the name of the album I picked has the word blue It has in it. the word blue in it, but it's, uh, yeah, so. So these are we, albums that we feel are good. Yeah, introductory maybe course. albums. Yeah, if if you're uh, if you're semi new to jazz, you don't have to be new to jazz to enjoy these albums. Uh, Luke and I had a conversation yesterday. We'll get into it when we get into my pick. But I, in hindsight, I wish I kind of went with something a little bit different. But that's okay. That's okay. So, Luke. Yes. Why don't we start off with your album? Because... I don't want to start off my album. You don't want to start off with your album? I want to start off with Jeff's album. Okay. Okay. Um. So, <laughs> starting off with my album. Since we're talking about introduc- <laughs> in- introductions to jazz music, I was thinking like, like you said, the kind of blue or blue train or all those ones that are kind of the ones that everybody has on their top five list. Yeah. But I wanted to choose an album that was like my introduction to jazz music. Uh, and this is an album by Dizzy Gillespie from the mid fifties. Uh, I think released in 54. It's called Afro. And this is Dizzy Gillespie is like one of the big figures of bop, bebop music um, alongside Charlie Parker, who was Charlie Parker is more well known. But Charlie Parker actually played in Dizzy Gillespie's band. Dizzy is a was a trumpet player and he was, you know, typical bebop dude with like the soul patch and the horn room glasses and the beret. And like if you if you ever seen a caricature of a jazz musician, (laughs) it's Dizzy Gillespie, the blown out cheeks. While yeah, he's playing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so very notable, like Luke said, the he has blown out cheeks, so like his whole neck uh gets filled with air like a like a bullfrog when he plays. <laughs> um and I guess that's because he actually had like a perforation in his neck muscles. So that's it wasn't like he was overstraining, it's just like his neck anatomy naturally did that. It got more pronounced as he got older, but that's because you know, his your muscles weaken and all that stuff. Anyway, uh, played with a trumpet that had like this upturned bell. So like the bell, of the trumpet was almost like a 45 degree angle towards the ceiling. And that way, so when he kind of like bent his neck forward, it would still go straight out to the audience. Uh, Afro was an album that I listened to. I didn't listen to the album when I was very young, but I listened to like a greatest hits collection that featured a lot of these songs. And I started listening to jazz music heavily on my own when I was like nine years old, nine or 10. And I grew up in a household that pretty much all we played was jazz and classical and Broadway and stuff like that. So I started to seek out my own like views on this kind of music and my own path. And I started going to the library and just checking out 
CDs from their collection. And I, I swear over this summer when I was nine or 10 years old, I took out every jazz CD that this library had. So like I'm talking 70 to a hundred CDs. Um, and the Dizzy Gillespie stuff really hit me because his music is so, it was so new to me because at this time in the mid fifties, he was bringing the heavy Afro Cuban influence into his music so he was getting away from the beboppy like kind of stuff that you had heard and the um type of like musical vocabulary i was used to and he was bringing in uh, bongo players and conga players and clave players and maracas and shakers and i remember listening to this music and it was just like it, it was like the first time i heard metal music where you just hear it and you're like well, i didn't this is like strange and new and like sounds like it's from a different world. The Dizzy Gillespie uh, Afro-Cuban stuff is like, it has such this primal and dark and like you can hear, like you can feel like the sweatiness in the music and like the passion and just like the struggle and all those things that you can't even like quantify when you're that young. And especially like being a young white kid from the middle of nowhere in the middle of the woods and farm country. Um, it was just like, it was opening a history book and just like reading, you know, it was like a new eye opening thing. So this album is just like, it's, I think it's seven tracks. The first four is considered the Manteca suite. And Manteca is like this huge um, standard that Dizzy Gillespie co-wrote with Gil Fuller, who was an arranger and Chano Pozo, who was a uh, conga player, like a Cuban conga player. So it's four songs that's kind of, it's a suite, so it's the Manteca theme, then Contrasted, then Jungla, then the Rumba Finale. And it's like, it works as like a classical piece. So each of the tracks is like four, three to four and a half minutes long. And it's very classical musical style where it all has the same instrumentation and it brings back themes. And it's just this driving rhythm and it's a big band. So you hear Dizzy playing over the big band, but it's a band of like, you know, 17 other people, and it's like five or six percussionists. Quincy Jones, also Quin in that band. Yeah, yeah, like a 21-year-old Quincy Jones. Playing trumpet. Playing yeah. trumpet. That's why yeah. I yeah. also thought this record was fascinating, because yeah. it kind of brings, like, the legacy of jazz all the way kind of through with, like, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff in it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and other, you know, J.J. Johnson plays trombone on this. Hank Mobley plays sax. Um, so those are some names that people are familiar with. And the big thing is all these percussionists. So you have... Um, a drummer, you have two congas players, a bongos player, a timbali player, and then like a all around percussion player playing. So you, he it's jazz music, but throughout it's like, it's just like tri tribal jungle. It's like a, it's like a drum circle thing going around yeah. this big band. Um, it's just like this really, really cool new thing for me. Um, and then the last three tracks is a different. Um, different band it's a smaller band it's probably like a seven person band and it features like flute players and stuff like that and on the last three tracks they do the standard uh, another one Dizzy Gillespie co-wrote Night in Tunisia which is like one of my favorite songs um, Kanalma and Caravan which was a Duke Ellington song so they do like their Afro-Cuban versions of those songs as well um, yeah and this like I said if if you've heard jazz music and you think it's all like it's like swing dance music like glenn miller and all that stuff like this is the furthest from it while still staying as jazz music yeah i really like this pick because 
I mean, you picked like like all the things you said first of all, but it also has like I mean, we were just upstairs. I was watching Dumbo, mm. and it has that kind of like Fantasia mm. kind of orchestration on the first side, like the um that song suite where it's yeah. like very um. You know, like, what am I trying to say? It's very, like, themed and theatrical, but at the same time still having, like, jazz underpinnings. Um, and it kind of also reminded me, too, of, like, this period. So this would be, like, early 50s where, like, jazz was starting to, like you said, branch out from what it had been and started to take influences from other areas and other places just like rock would do in the 60s like where you have like indian music coming into the rock and roll canon with the beatles this is a lot like that but way way ahead of time so like in the 50s so when i heard this i was like oh okay so they're taking you know in and they would uh even jazz musicians in the 60s would uh do this with like uh you know stan getz um in the bossa nova craze you would take like um you know other kinds of music and blend it into jazz and this was a very early example of that and i thought it was really really well done um the song suite on the first half was like it, it still has that old recording style too yeah, yeah. so like you'll notice too like jazz records before like 55 have like a certain or, or a lot of records before like 1955 have a certain kind of like tone to them and this is definitely of that tone and era um yeah. so it was also exciting to hear like really um pushing um, what am I trying to say? Like really, like pushing forward sonically and uh, in that recording era, because by the late fifties, um, you would have like you know, uh, you know Van Gelder making like you know classic. I mean, yeah, kind of blue. High fidelity. High, yeah, yeah, kind of blue is fifty nine, and that's incredibly high fidelity. Where this is like a little bit of lower fidelity, but it still adds to like such a um, you know. Oh, what I wanted to say was this reminds me of like um like mood music. Done to like the uh, complete artistic degree of what mu- mood music would have been. So it like back in the day, like you didn't have like documentaries being like this is what this place is like. But you could buy a record and and they'd be like this is what they listen to. This is Afro Cuban yeah, yeah. music, and it would kind of give you yeah. a kind of like you know oh like this is what this is what the environment is and you kind of feel like maybe the air is hot and sticky and it kind of yeah, yeah. you know what i mean like that's what this album gave me i really really enjoyed it i listened to it like in the sunshine yesterday morning yeah. it was it was really great that's what i thought i thought this is a good summer yeah okay, this is a good summer album you know it's got a great vibe i love how you can like you can hear the ceiling in the record you know like mm. you, you can hear the room it's yes. like I, yes. I love that like what are the castanets right like that no, not castanets. Uh, the uh, bongos and oh, what are like the clicking? Uh, yeah, those are castanets. Castanets, yeah, castanets. But that's what I mean. Yeah, like when they're playing that, you can really hear like the yeah. reverb of the room. It sounds so cool. This is not this style of music. When I go to jazz, is definitely not what I lean towards. Right. I lean towards the Van Gelder thing. I mm-hmm. lean towards the blue trains and the sidewinders and stuff. But I really enjoyed this record. Mm. Uh, I thought it was yeah, it was great. And and Dizzy Gillespie, you know, you can't. Oh, uh, yeah. You got to give it up to him, man. He's the man. It was it was cool to hear uh, "Night in Tunisia" because I'm used to the Art Blakey version That's of true. that, yeah. and so it was cool to hear it in like a different arrangement mm-hmm. in an older style of jazz too that was more original. Um, and I also enjoyed like "Caravan" on here too because I'm also more used to the uh, Blakey version of that song yeah. as well. And then to hear it like done in this like style was really cool because like 
you know, it's it's taking a class like this is classic in the sense of jazz, like caravans, like a Ellington song. So mm-hmm. it's like you know a, a staple at that point. And then to have it like flavored with all these different like um, nuances and stuff, it's cool to hear the song done in a completely different kind of arrangement. Yeah, and it, it's just a cool historical document too because. I didn't know these things when I first listened to this stuff when I was nine or 10, but it was recorded in like 53, 54. And that was right when the Cuban revolution was starting. So a lot of these players that played on it, like Mongo Santa Maria plays congas or bongos on this album. And he's like one of the dudes, Candido, another one of the dudes, like one of the five dudes in Afro Cuban music. And those are guys who at the, in the early, in the late forties, early fifties, Havana, Cuba was like the Las Vegas of the, you know, of that part of the world. It was a big place vacationing and all that, all that cultural stuff. But these guys left Cuba in like the late forties, right around 1950, 51 and went to New York city and started being players on all this stuff. And then like two years later, their whole country is like in turmoil. And so I think that was a big reason why Dizzy Gillespie started revisiting this music because he was hanging out with all these dudes and it was like, they want to like bring those roots of their own culture into the uh, forefront in American music. And he's like, yeah, I dig this music completely, man. This is like that Afro Cuban type of thing mixed with the blues. That is what jazz music. It was like at the crossroads of the early 20th century. That's where it started the art form. So I just, I love this. And I, like you said, I, I love the, it is that uh, one room sound. But it, it's it's after that fizzy like tin can kind of sound of recording, which was like other than the big bands, that's what jazz music was in the thirties and forties. You can hear that it's still a big band, but yeah, you can hear the room and it's just I love the the mute that Dizzy Gillespie uses on. He uses like a straight cup mute, so it has that like very choked like tinny sound on the lead trumpet. But the band is still like so lush and. There's so much activity going on. You can't even tell like who's playing what as far as percussion goes. It's just this like heartbeat that goes throughout. So absolutely, yeah. yeah. Like and that's like yeah. um, like the mastery of like the of it's the highest like the fidelity for that era could have yeah. been. And that's like what what's cool to listen to. Mm-hmm. Like um, all like the you're saying because like you had to. It's a room recording, so it's not like you're like, let me just turn this up a little bit. You can't do that. So it's whatever you're playing, and it's all the dynamics of the players, and it, that makes it so much interesting and so you know passionate and really like uh, human. You can really hear everybody really coming together and making the, the piece live in the room. It's great. I it, really, really like it. And it sounds like they were having fun. Yeah, not to yeah, sound yeah. corny, you know what I mean? But like yeah. you listen to the record, and you're like, yeah, this – they must have been having such a good time playing this music because it yeah. just it's so, it feels so good, you know. Yeah, and it's something to put on. Like we're talking like introduction. I think it's something like you could put on, get a feel for what it is, and then kind of like you said too. There's so many great players on here: JJ Johnson, uh, obviously Dizzy Gillespie, um, and uh, like even we said. Um, Quincy Jones, yeah, yeah. and this is a thing in jazz. Like uh, we're probably gonna expand on later, but um, you kind of find some of the players that you like, or some of the people, and you'll find that they play on almost every on on yeah. all these different releases with other players. And then that's kind of a way where you're like, well, I liked this release, so if this guy's on here, that must have some merit to my taste yeah. at least, and you can branch off very easily. And this is a great record to do that with as well, yeah. seeing that it's very ensembled. Yeah, yeah, still sounds new to me. I hadn't listened to it in like 15 years, and I I, I put it on. And I'm just like, oh my god, this is like, yeah, yeah, it's so good. 
and it's, it's a great record. It's great too. Um, like I find jazz too because I'm a avid music listener to definitely pull me out of like if I'm in a rut, mm-hmm. like I'm like eh, I've been just listening to the same stuff and nothing mm-hmm. really sounds good. Jazz is a great way to uh completely like just reopen your mind again mm-hmm. and be like, oh okay, you know mm-hmm. what I mean. It's not just verse, chorus, verse. There's a lot of nuance yeah, and melody yeah. in music, you know. Yeah. So, great choice, nice. dude. Yeah, great, great choice. Great yes. choice. Yeah, Afro. Do you want uh, to do mine now or yours? Why don't we do – we'll do mine then. Okay, Since let's, do we, <laughs> well, let's do yours. Let's do yours. The album that I chose was by the man Eddie Lockjaw Davis. It's an album called Cookbook. Uh, it is a uh, – let me see here. Hold on one second. One, two, three, four, five. So Quintet mm-hmm. featuring – Eddie Davis on tenor sax, Shirley Scott on organ, Jerome Richardson on flute, George Duvivier on bass, and mm-hmm. Arthur Edgehill on drums. I wanted to choose this album because of the fact that I felt that you guys were bringing pretty distinct flavors, and I chose this one because of the organ, and in hindsight, that's the thing that I think kind of got got to me and and to luke i know as well but got to me in terms of once you're like track four you're like all right i get it with the organ because it's just oh you think so it's so ballparky like it's so like ball game organ style it's a hammond b3 and listen as an accompanying accompanying sorry instrument i really enjoyed it but sometimes it just comes in so hot in the mix that you're like ah like it's just like Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, see, I this is the way I listened to this record. I listened to it in headphones yesterday, yeah, right. and um, I was thinking too much because the house was kind of early in the morning when I was listening to it, and I was like, oh, you know, I probably like this more if it was just in the room and yeah. not in my ears, because when it was in my ears, like by the fourth track, when it was for, like the solo on the organ, because you can yeah. only do so much in an organ. It's it just got to the, like the like the attack on it was just like chinging in my ear like ching 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 and I was like and some of the solos like the draw bars are put in such a way that's creating these like three octave overtones so it's like it's almost sounds like it's beautifully played but it's almost has the tone of like dial up internet yes at times yeah um. I thought I loved it though. I liked it. I, too. I was like, record. damn, I need to listen to more Shirley Scott records. Like, <laughs> I, I loved it. It was my favorite part of the record. I would have liked it more just in the room and not yeah, so right, much right. right in my ear. Cause every time like they, cause yeah. it has like an attack on it yeah, and you, yeah. that has a certain noise to it. Yeah. I love the track uh, in the kitchen though. It's like the fourth or fifth track. Yeah. And that's like the first three minutes is all organ. Yes. And it's, I love it. <laughs> Yeah, I enjoy. I, it's heavy. It's this, it's heavy. Yeah. It's a heavy influence on the and this, very. Un, so let's talk about the organ too in jazz. Unusual. Yeah. Not uh not yeah, a used no. instrument. It's usually no. acoustic piano, played yeah, in jazz. Yeah. Who's like the big one? Is it Jimmy Smith? Oh, uh, yeah, Jimmy Smith. Who did the cat? The incredible Jimmy Smith. The incredible. Sorry, the incredible Jimmy. Smith. <laughs> Have some respect. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's way more un, unorthodox. Because it because it does have such a distinct tone, it can't just like be subtly in the background. Really, there's times that Shirley Scott does it though. She pulls yeah. the, the back oh, yeah. the volume and just kind of like swells into it. And stuff. Yeah. Yes, and 
I also so I I have yes I have good good like that that comes to like a good and bad because the more I thought about it too the more I thought about I'm gonna bring it up again a band that I always bring up on this podcast Deep Purple yeah um I thought of like if you were a rock fan and you were interested to get into jazz yeah this album was pretty cool because it had a banging ass organ player on it and if you listen to a band like Deep Purple who had a banging ass organ player and you're kind of into that instrument anyway this album ripped on that sense because she does rip it up on this organ and it was it was it nothing on it was distasteful to me it was just is a different kind of jazz to listen to right i would yeah i i agree the 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 organ thing it kind of came in and out of fashion in the jazz like Mm. the organ trio say concept uh but yeah i would say to your point, Luke, for sure, because you listen to a song like A Whiter Shade of Pale, that's got the organ on there. You listen to, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, there's just, there's a lot of that sort of psychedelic kind of 60s stuff that relies heavily on the the Hammond. So, yeah, this, for me, I, I think maybe one of the reasons why was because that's the, that's the, an instrument featured on this record, it's an easy sort of bridge to build, to go yeah. from, say, like a Deep Purple kind of thing into something that's a little bit more explorative. Can, uh, I, can I guess what year this was made? Yeah. I'm going to say sometime between 58 and 63. <laughs> yeah, you're so good. Oh, okay. 58 on the money. June 20th, 1958 in Van Gelder studio. Yeah, because like th- that kind of organ trio got... Like, yeah, because it was right at like Nat King Cole kind of had some organ stuff and Ray Charles. Yep. And, yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, what 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 I say? Yeah. That yeah. electric piano, at least. Yeah, I mean, it's. I thought this album was awesome. I'd never heard of Eddie Lockjaw Davis. Um, wh- like, how did you come across this album? Mike came across this album because I bought this album yeah. off of eBay because it was a prestige record uh-huh. and it was really cheap. Yeah. I think I bought it for three dollars, and I was like. Jazz, prestige, great label, mm. must be good. So I bought it, and it was good. It just really wasn't my bag at the time yeah, yeah. because of the organ. The organ. And yeah. so I handed it off to Mike, and I was like, hey, you'll like this. It's not bad. It's just not my super bag. Yeah, and yeah. Mike, re- Mike's like, I love this. So, yeah, I, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. d- so if you got the vinyl, is it is it like the version that's only like six or seven tracks? Because I know st- I listen to it streaming, and it has like – It has some bonus tracks. Out of on order and stuff. Yeah, the, like the order, yeah. yeah, the order is different. It yeah. was – the. For some weird reason, they don't have the original release available on okay. streaming. Yeah, so right, right. it's it's. I think it was like I think it was like called like considered from what I understand. It was like the cookbook sessions. I want to say uh-huh. so. It was released. That's why the one that you listen to is called Volume, volume One because it yeah. was released as a two volume thing. So I, gotcha. I'm pretty sure there's a companion yeah. uh, album to that. Yeah, pre- I just haven't listened to that one. Prestige was pretty um, notable for like releasing split sessions over like three or four albums. Yeah, um, like Monk and uh, Rollins. Yeah, uh, you know, record that also, kind of stuff. Also, some consumer advice. In a it, like, I think when we were doing the Little Richard episode, I was talking about like, oh, if it's a you know, if it's if it's a soul record on Atlantic, it's probably a good record. Same thing with jazz. If you see a jazz that's on like Blue Note or Prestige, chances are it's probably a pretty good record. So as a consumer adv- advice thing, especially the Blue Note stuff, we'll get into that when we get into to Luke's pick. But all of those, what is that? The the anniversary re-releases that are like all over the place. You can find them pretty much anywhere. Yeah, I don't know if this is one, but uh, but yeah, pretty much anything off of Blue Note, you're probably gonna get a good record. Same thing with Prestige, but so yeah, check it out, Eddie Lockjaw Davis. Well, we talked about the organ. 
I thought the thing that was you didn't about talk about was the Yaz flute. The Yaz, Yaz flute, dude. Right. Yeah, I, was, yeah, yeah. I was like, we're gonna move on There's, and not talk yeah, about the flute. Like, yeah, we have to talk. That about the was flute. a thing that is. Spe- I mean, maybe fifty-eight. Jerome Richardson. I mean, there was the this flute, was a, this is an un, an unusual jazz yeah. combination. It's yeah, yeah. Uh, it's organ, flute, saxophone, bass and drums, yeah. bass and drums. It's it's not yeah. your normal jazz setup. But I, the flute yeah. wasn't bad. It it no, wasn't like o- it. also it wasn't overly fluty. <laughs> Wait, what's overly flutey? <laughs> overly flutey is when you're listening to like jazz flute solo. <laughs> yeah, and you're just like Herbie Mann, and I just yeah, yeah. I have no patience for he, like Herbie Mann. I didn't write down the track. There, there is one track that he starts a solo. He probably does eight bars, and then he comes in and he's doing full lip trill, like yeah, for like. 20 straight seconds and i just thought holy shit like that is fucking hard to do that man and it's yeah and he's and i mean he's a seasoned guy also not to play sax on one or two tracks too he does yeah not to backpedal too much uh it was released as a three volume cookbook sessions just to make that correction but yeah i mean he he's played with i'm looking at it now he's played with charles mingus lionel hampton kenny burrell I mean, he played. He played Cannonball. Adderley. He's not the dude who does the lead line on Soul Bossa Nova, the Austin Powers theme by Quincy Jones. But Jerome Richardson did play flute on a lot of Quincy Jones sessions. Yeah, yeah. In in his like as a sideman yeah. discography here, there's a lot of Quincy yeah, Jones yeah. records that he played on. Like all that mid '60s, late '60s stuff. I love jazz flute. Just yeah, gonna throw it too. out there. It is just. It makes me so happy. It just really. It's just. It's such a fun flavor, you know. Yeah, and I love it. It's it's not aggressive because a flute is still such a breathy tone. Yeah. So it's not this like ear piercing thing. It still like has this supple sound. Yeah. I liked it, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of weird instruments, I listened to a Monk record the other day mm. that had a French horn solo in oh, it. Oh, cool. That was dope. I've, I, I didn't, I didn't even, mm-hmm. I couldn't even hear that it was, it sounded like a trumpet. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, whoa, I'd never heard it played like that. I'd only heard it played more like orchestrally where it was just like kind of blowing out like uh, chords. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I had never heard like a solo really on the French. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. I think there's French horn in the the birth of the cool Miles Davis. I think there's the a French horn yes. in the non-net. Yeah, I think so. Might be a baritone horn. But also, horn. sidebar: you were talking about J.J. Johnson being on that. Yeah, Dizzy Gillespie record. Another fun instrument to listen to. Trombone, jazz trombone is is oh, yeah. a lot of fun to listen to as well. And J.J. Johnson is also in Miles Davis's right. non-net. Yeah. yeah, so there you go. Uh, so Eddie yeah, Lockjaw. Eddie Lockjaw Davis, check, great sax player. Too. Check him out. Yeah, great sax player, yeah. tenor sax player. Which yeah. I, you know, I, I, I don't know. Is that your go to? That's my go to. T- tenor sax is my go to. I'm the, not. Who's the top three? If or if you could name three, who would be your three? Um, probably. Uh, like Sonny Rollins. So yeah, so Sonny Sonny Rollins, John Coltrane. John Coltrane, of course, he's number one, and then Coleman Hawkins, maybe. Oh yeah, oh, I like Coleman, Coleman Hawkins. Hawkins. Old school. Yeah. Great, great plays. Coleman Hawkins is all like, like the yeah. fast vibrato the yeah. whole time. Yeah. Uh, what does um, that's uh, what am I trying to say? What does Adderley play? Is that um, alto? He's alto. alto? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm more of an alto sax. Who are some other tenor? Sonny, tenor is Sonny uh, Stitt might be tenor sax. Gets. Right? Oh, is he tenor sax? I, don't know. I think so. Yeah, because that's I think some of it, that's some lower. Yeah, it, 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 it may be tenor sax. 
Yeah, you're. I think. I don't know. Now that you say that, because I was just thinking Stan Getz, I'm like, what does he play? Stan Getz, because for me, it's always like super. It's very low, low and uh, like uh, Lester Young. Oh yeah. Oh, Lester, Lester Young. Young from, yeah, from Count Basie Orchestra. Yeah, Lester Young, Prez. He's the fun fact. Lester Young, he's the dude who invented the word cool. Oh really? Yeah. Is it really? Yeah. That's cool. And, and he, <laughs> so like a word that's, that's cool. been around in the lexicon since like the early forties or whatever. He's the one who came up with that. Also, bread. But that's money. him too. Yeah. No way. Yeah. Man, nice. so he's, he's like the dude for for like slang? urban pop culture slang. Yeah, Prez uh, Lester Young. Oh man, yeah. I have to look that up. Oh, I know. Where, I know. Satchmo f- had a uh, with the flat broom hat. Satchmo had quite quite a few good um, slang words that he was. Uh, oh yeah. I think uh, cat <laughs> calling people cat. Oh, possibly. What's up, cat? And then yeah. everyone would call you know because he had no idea what anybody's name was ever. I like cat. I like calling people cats. Yeah, I gotta bring that back. <laughs> I was listening to a Corey Wong. I've been listening to his podcast, and he's so deep in the session musician world. He calls everybody cats. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, "Yeah, man, those cats can really play." <laughs> and I'm like, "What are you, 95 years old?" Satchmo, <laughs> man, he didn't know anybody's name, and that's why everybody called him uh, Pops because yeah. he because he was Pops. like old man, didn't know anybody's name. It's oh, pretty that's great. So good. All right, I gotta look up some more Lockjaw Davis and. It was it Shirley Scott? That's her name. Yeah, on Oregon. Yeah, I got yeah. some of her stuff. Yeah, it's good stuff, man. I love. Well, that. why don't we? We've done two. Why don't we take a quick break, and then we'll come back with Luke's pick. Let me ask you guys something. Whatever happened to predictability? There must be some magic clues inside these gentle walls. Sometimes you get a feeling like you need some kind of change. I don't get any of those references. But each week on Talking Sit, Silas P. and a guest do a deep dive and raise up the sitcoms that raised us. Did Mr. Belvedere really sit on his balls? Why do people call him Uncle Joey when he wasn't related to the Tanners? And does anyone else remember Head of the Class? Find out each week on Talking Sit with Silas P. All right. Welcome back. Welcome back. Blue train is rolling, and we are well on our way to our destination. Oh, you know what I almost bought the other day? What? I almost bought one of those things to use on the show, one of those whistles that's like... A little slide whistle? Yeah, yeah like... should have gotten one. Brian Wilson style? I think we're a fucking bunch of clowns. <laughs> <laughs> What's uh, that? There's this one song on Pet Sounds where it's like... Yeah. And he's like... Oh, no, it's on Smile. That's what it's on. So good. This <laughs> is so good. It's so, so, so good. Nothing. The review of the slide whistle on the Beach Boys. So good. <laughs> this is why. No, nothing. You're listening to a song in the middle. It's like a, just a crazy slide whistle. It makes me smile every single time. It makes me laugh out loud. My favorite one is the is like that. You know the little motor like fan whistle that's used in Sir Duke Stevie Wonder. Mm. It's like. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I know exactly what you're talking it's so stupid i love it man that's a good one i'm so glad you brought that one up 
That's a that's a late. It could be a later gamer in the garage episode. Top ten whistle songs. <laughs> <laughs> Top ten. Me and Hula down by the schoolyard. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Some of the best whistling on tape. <laughs> All right, moving on moving to on. Luke's pick. Luke. Luke's intro. What's what's your introductory album you want to Okay, so um, I chose... That's Dinosaur Jr. Okay, oh, no, okay. <laughs> great, another great jazz great album. Great jazz trio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got Murph, you know. Fuzz jazz. <laughs> All, right. All right. Um, My pick was Blue and Sentimental by uh, Ike Quebec. Um, Ike Quebec is a tenor sax player. Um, okay, so I was at Mystic Disc in Mystic, Connecticut, and um, I Shout wanted out. to listen to a um, a jazz record when I got home that day, and um, I saw that this record was in the bin. It was a repress, um, and it looked good, so I bought it, and this is why I bought it, because earlier we're talking a lot of um, other musicians on other jazz albums play on other jazz albums, um, and this one had the rhythm section of Paul Chambers on bass and Philly Joe Jones on drums which would have been uh, Miles Davis's um, rhythm section at that time. Um, and that's really why I went after this album. So I figured Miles Davis I really enjoy as an artist, and also that's another introductory jazz thing to get into, kind of blue. Um, and so I took this record, and I was like, well, I must like it because you know they have the same kind of sensibilities. Um, and... When I brought it home, this album was super easy to get into. It also has the guitar playing of uh, Grant Green, who is a really famous jazz guitar player. His birthday was yesterday. Oh, really? Happy birthday, Happy birthday Grant. Rest in peace. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got it. That was like asking if someone's pregnant. Um, <laughs> So the album, our, condo- our condolences to the Grant Green uh, yes. uh, uh, state. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They've been mourning for forty-five years. Listen, <laughs> I already I already ripped apart Kip Winger on last week's show. I can't I can't be down to musicians. His, wait, his dick didn't explode too, did it? <laughs> <laughs> no. No. Yo, so George, uh, George from the Feel Feelings podcast yeah. on the same uh, Wasted Robot Network, check that podcast out. He texted me the other day. He was listening to our podcast and went, "No, man, that's the dude from Three Dog Night." And I went, "You haven't listened to the end of this episode yet." <laughs> listening, it's revealed. Yeah, you need to listen to last week's episode. There's plenty of penis coverage in in that. Lots of dick talk. Oh my god. So anyway, back to I Quebec. Um. This album, let's just talk about how it plays really fast. It's it, yeah. The album's called Blue and Sentimental, and it really does feel like that. Um, all the music is pretty much um, in the blues bass. Um, it's mm-hmm. like post-hard bop. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of got some um, like sweeter melodic moments, um, a little bit more of like an R&B influence mm-hmm. flavor on the um, tenor sax. Um, why I picked this album for an introductory album, Grant Green on guitar – um, a lot of people are obviously familiar with the sound of a guitar and that this album really brings in um, the guitar in a blues sense that you can understand um, and makes jazz, I think, more listenable for uh, a first-time listener. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're familiar with that instrument, it doesn't sound like something you've never heard before. Um, and also the soloings of Ike Quebec are so melodic mm-hmm. And not challenging to the ear. 
um, he will play a line, and then like your brain will be like, just be like, play that note next, and then he plays it next, and it, it hits so tenderly and nice, and it's never bombastic or out there. It's just super smooth and relaxing. Um, also, that's kind of cool on this record, too, is when Grant Green, the guitar player, goes to solo, Ike Quebec will change off from tenor sax and start playing some um, rhythmic chord changes on the piano, which is also really cool because you don't get that a lot in jazz of guys doing two things at once. Um, and so, yeah, that's really why I picked this album. I think it's really easy to listen to. It sounds like a lot of um, – it's like a more stylized, easy listening, right? Would you guys kind of say that? Yeah. It's definitely yeah, – It fits in the vein of, like, even the Coltrane stuff at that time. and Yeah. Know, it's it's similar. Sure. Like you said, it's that post-bop stuff, so it's not heavy. It's not note-heavy. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely not note-heavy. It's breathable. Um, and I think with without a piano being a main featured instrument – because Quebec is only doing some comp, light comping when Grant Green solos, it's pretty sparse, and there's a, like, a lot of room, so you can really focus in on what's being played. Because it's like Quebec plays lead, and Grant Green, which is rare for him because he was a solo guitar player, he does that just simple comping of chords, you know, some little type of shading behind him. And then when Grant Green takes over, maybe Quebec will like kind of like plant a chord every three or four beats on piano, but he stays out of his way. So it's very much, it kind of is just like a soloist with a drum and bass. So it's very easy to listen to. Yeah, and that's why I really liked it. And when I brought this record home too, um, I thought it was going to be more um, of like the hard bop mm, kind of right. thing because of uh, Miles's rhythm section mm -hmm. on there. Um, and was really surprised to, to hear how different Ike Quebec was yeah. from um, like records that were released at this time. I think this is 59 or 60 this was released. Um, and Ike Quebec comes from like an older school generation, more of the Dizzy Gillespie school of like the first record we talked about that Jeff picked. Um, he used to play in big bands and uh, was a talent scout for Blue Note Records and helped like, you know, foster monk and artists like that. Um, but yeah, his, it's just, he's like one of the classiest players I've ever heard. You know what I mean? And it's just a uh, big breathy kind yeah. of tone and just, there's a lot of reverb on his stuff. Oh, yes. I mean, not a lot, but like noticeable reverb. Yeah. It's yeah. like that dreamy plate reverb and even Grant Green, there's some of that plate reverb on his solo stuff, but just has this like, it's got uh, the Van Gelder sound. sound. It's yeah. the Van Gelder sound yeah. of the nice reverb off the horns and yeah. really I don't know. I love this recording. Mm. Um, my favorite song in here is the last one, Count Every Star. No, so yeah. I just love the – it's just so – I don't know. I really, really enjoy this record, and I think it's – Yeah, I'd actually never heard of I Quebec before you mentioned this record. So it yeah, was like, same here. It was yeah, great, great uh, recommendation because – yeah, really good he's uh, you know, he was never like on the forefront of pushing any kind of like major agenda in like the change of jazz, but was just a great um, when uh, song interpreter and and yeah. player, and I think um, really is something easy to get into. Like my grandma is more of like a um Kenny G kind of gal, <laughs> okay, but yeah. like if you played That's this for her, right. yeah, it'd go right in your like if you know what I mean. It'd you go, could tell her. Like, you know, I mean, you could trick yeah, someone. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. And you could be like, oh, yeah, this is the new, like, soft jazz thing. And yep. be like, oh, yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's really, it's a classy album, yeah. uh, too. Like, you know, not for nothing, but, like, you know, you're trying to have, like, a nice, like, evening with your gal. You mm -hmm. put on this record, man, she'll think you're classy as shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you read books and all that trash. <laughs> <laughs> 
I thought this record was so well balanced as well. Mm. Like you, he gives you fast and slow and yeah. fast and slow. And I also was listening to it and I thought to myself, have we finally found the jazz blues album <laughs> oh, very, very <laughs> of all jazz, time if you will <laughs> yeah because it really is i love that i yeah. love the approachability of the guitar playing yeah. he gives you these nice jazz guitar you know goodness but he also throws in some blues so i think again we're talking about entry level records if you listen to it you know the blues scale is in everything so it's it's an old friend it's a familiar you know like scale so to put to throw that in an album like that i think is really great too because it yeah. it gives you a little because there's times where there's times where he sounds a little west montgomery there's a time right. he sounds a little kenny burrell but then there's also times where he sounds a little bb king you know mm -hmm. so there's there's that familiarity of the 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 guitar playing in in all the songs that i thought was uh i thought what was uh, very approachable and yeah. relatable, and uh, I, yeah, I I, I really really like this album. Yeah. I'm like, fuck, I gotta go buy this right now. <laughs> like that's what I thought when I heard it. I'm like, I need this album. Well, like another thing too is when you know I said like the reasons why I picked it up and blindly bought this record, having never heard it. Um, but the other thing that really pushed me over the edge is when I picked it up. Uh, the guy behind the counter at Mystic Disc, Dan, went, Man. oh, old I Quebec, huh? He's like, <laughs> mm, that's a great record, and I was just like, oh, it's sold. That, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's just that that vindication you need sometimes from somebody else. Yeah, and that's that speaks to just the 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 record store in general, guys. Go mm -hmm. to your local record store. The the you know they'll they'll steer there's they will steer you in the right direction. Is what I'm trying yeah. to say. Also, Especially Dan. Not for nothing either, but like uh, Jeff across the table from me here. Um, like you, if you listen to the show, you want to get into jazz. Ask Jeff what to listen to. I've asked Jeff so many times. Is this good? Is that bad? Do you like yeah. this? Do you like that? What is this? What is that? Um, you know what I mean? And having someone that's highly knowledgeable and then also knows you personally, you'd be like, oh, you probably like this. You probably wouldn't like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's 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 a nice thing. And having uh, people that listen to different stuff in your life to open your ears to it is oh, yeah. you know, phenomenal. Yeah, because I think all of us were unfamiliar with each other's choices. Yes. Yeah. Like I never – I knew I, I knew Mike's choice, but only because I had bought that record. Right, right. <laughs> right, right. Uh mm. Yeah, so it's it's uh it's a great record, man. You definitely yeah. check it out. I I Quebec. So a recap of our choice. My choice was Afro by Dizzy Gillespie. Mine was Cookbook Eddie Lockjaw Davis. Mine was Blue and Sentimental by Ike Quebec. Ike Quebec. Yeah, so um, good introductory albums to listen to. Yeah, and then honorable mentions slash yeah, shout outs. The obvious. Yeah, uh, let's throw out some. You know, Blue Train by John Coltrane yeah. was one that was kind of an obvious one that. But I talk about that record so much right. anyway. I've talked about it on the podcast before, mm -hmm. so like I didn't want to like come in with that one because that's just, I mean, it's kind of an obvious pick. But yeah, so Coltrane, Blue Train, uh, obviously Miles Davis, kind of blue. Um. Yeah. Yep. And uh, if you're listening to Kind of Blue and you listen to the record, uh, last record I threw out, like I said, a jillion times, the rhythm section on that is the same. Yeah. Um, I think the drummer's different, but. I think even on Blue Train, somebody's on there. I think Paul Chambers is on Blue Train, isn't he? That's why I. Yeah. I know Cobb plays drums on, yeah, Jimmy Cobb. on uh, Kind of Blue. But, yeah. But sim same five year span, all these guys. Yeah, right, right. I think um, one to check out. Uh, it's known as moaning. It's really called Art Blakey and, and the Jazz Messengers, but it's Art Blakey and Jazz Mo Messengers moaning. Um, great album. It was one that I was going to consider. I uh, my, I mean, Miles Davis is the dude for me because 
he's a guy who like at various points of his career had everybody playing with him at different points. So like my top 10 of all jazz albums, at least five would be Miles Davis. So like birth of the cool, um, sketches of Spain, which is like classical music, opera type of style with jazz. Also as a sidebar, if you're into, uh, the Dizzy Gillespie Afro, Mm -hmm. if you're in, if you like that kind of a vibe, if you want maybe something that has, it's kind of a similar flavor, not exactly the same, but kind of a similar flavor of seeing like a you know a, a, a trumpet jazz artist kind of in in fronting sort of a big band or an orchestral thing. Sketches in Spain, yeah, is another one that's uh, yeah, it's got a good. And then to it. you got all the piano trio ones that I considered, but I just wanted to feature someone else. But um, Sunday at the Village Vanguard by Bill Evans Trio, uh, Live at the Pershing by Ahmad Jamal Trio. Uh, the jazz impressions of Black Orpheus by Vince Guaraldi trio, like those are my three go tos. And uh, like uh, Vince Guaraldi, like you said, you've everybody has heard the music of Vince Guaraldi. If you have watched any Charlie Brown TV special yeah, yeah. from the sixties, yeah. that's all that music. And that's how I original. That's how like I really started getting into jazz in the first mm-hmm. place. Is I would watch stuff like that, and I'd be like, "Well, what is this?" And I looked yeah. it up. I'm like, "Oh, he's a legitimate artist, piano trio." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Sidewinder, Lee Morgan. Yeah. Another great. I'd say like Saxophone Colossus by Sonny Rollins is really yeah. easy to get into. Yeah. Um, What's the Cannibal? Something one? else. Oh, my God. Cannibal. Can- Ad- something yeah. Else. Something else yeah. by Cannibal Adderley is yeah. one of the most accessible jazz records yeah. ever released. Um, oh, I listened to one the other day. I can never remember the name of it. Like if you Jeff want said some jazz to- guitar, Wes Montgomery or Kenny Burrell, two great yeah. jazz guitar players. Out to Lunch, Eric Dolphy, who was like a. Bass Ooh, that's a that's player. a that's a hard that's a bit, one. Though, that's a tough one. On, man. That one's that's a challenge. Okay. That challenges just the palate. Listen to these first twenty and then listen out. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a bit of a challenging record. <laughs> yeah, that's like cold, like um, <laughs> that's there's there's some jazz. cold there's some cold train yeah, that gets a, that gets pretty hairy. Jazz, that's a little stranger. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. Like, I think that's the thing though. Like, there are introductory albums that are going to be like, oh, you've kind of heard these textures before. But sometimes you just got to fucking cannonball into the shit. Yeah. Like, Literally with yeah, cannonball. I mean, <laughs> but like, because, you know, Out to Lunch, that's one of the first ones I ever listened to. And it's fucking, it like hits you like a like a piano falling on your head. You don't yeah. even know, like, know what to expect. It's that bass clarinet, man. You're like, what is this? It's awesome. It's so cool. Um, yeah. The album I was thinking about, it's called The Blues and the Abstract Truth. And that is by Oliver Nelson. But that features everybody. That features PC, Paul Chambers, Eric Dolphy, Bill Evans, Roy Haynes, and Freddie Hubbard. Great album. Great album. Oh, I have a good album to listen to. I have a great one. Because um, it, it's old school and new school. It's the most popular release from this artist on Spotify. It's um, Duke Ellington and John Coltrane's Impulse album oh, in the early yeah. 60s. Yeah. Um, in a Sentimental Mood. Um, the classic Duke Ellington tune. Um, you get to hear John Coltrane probably rip some of the most inspired saxophone that's ever been laid down yeah. on a track. Um, I think that album is super accessible um, because it has the old school stylings of Duke Ellington and the new flavor of what John Coltrane was doing at the time, which would uh, now we look back and they're like two of the biggest figureheads in jazz that have ever existed. Um, so a great meeting of the minds record. And that one I think is super accessible because um, you have Ellington playing the old school, more like danceable kind of thing coming from, and then you have Coltrane really bringing in that stylistic change over top. And yeah. um, I think that's like a great, great record. I love that one. 
Uh, Jerry Mulligan, What Is There to Say? That's another great record. I have that one. I think that was a Columbia release. I got that one with like that crazy. Uh, remember, I had that, like that col- those those crazy like Columbia records. Yeah, Columbia House. Yeah. Get um, get thirteen CDs to your house for one penny. This one was records, yeah, and the cases were made to look like books, like book yeah, volumes, right, right. and it was all like you know cool Columbia releases. Jerry Mulligan was in there. JJ Johnson in concert. That was not actually a concert. Was in there. <laughs> we're listening to this record. Mike's like, "Hey man, listen to this JJ Johnson record with me." And I'm listening to it, and I'm like. This isn't live. And Mike's like, no, this is live. I'm like, no, man, that's canned audience noise. And he's like, uh, he's like, listens to it. And he's like, oh, yeah. It was live somewhere. It just wasn't live. Live in the, the studio. <laughs> yeah, live in the studio. Yeah. Um, and that, I mean, I think that's the thing. If I could say, like, the one thing I love about jazz music, it's the same reason why I love the early soul stuff. For the most part, up until, like, 1968, everything was one. Everything, the whole band's playing, and that's the take, man. Yeah. Like whatever you put down in that eight minutes, that's what the song is. That's what I kind of dig about some of the the, the more recent uh, jazz releases mm-hmm. is you have all these ex- these alternate takes uh, yeah, to, yeah. to songs and mm-hmm. stuff, which is pretty cool because you hear them play the theme, but then mm-hmm. you know some of the improvisations are obviously are different. Um, but yeah, jazz. No, nobody threw any monk out, so I'm going to throw a monk record out. To Solo listen monk to. is good. Solo monk, monk is really good. Is good. Yep. Um, my favorite Monk release is Monk's Time from 1965. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Has some of um his earlier standards mm-hmm. recorded um in higher fidelity, which I think is of interest. Mm-hmm. Also, his classic um, um, his classic band that he was with for the longest amount of time on that record. Um, so yeah, check that out. Monk's Time. Uh, it came out in 1965. Um, a lot after most of these records we're talking about was released, but still, I think uh, a great song. Uh, it- check out Lulu's Back in Town. If, uh, if you want to challenge the palette as well, if you're if you're looking for something a little bit more advanced, uh, anything Charles uh, anything Charles Mingus, I was just pretty, gonna say uh, hum is yeah, is it's pretty one. like it's crazy. Good. What's that one? Or Wayne Shorter is another great one too. Alto sax. Uh, what was the? What, we, didn't we have a a, a, uh, a Mingus record where he's like yelling? At oh, the, um, at you're the talking. Band? You're talking uh, Mingus. The Mingus album Blues Roots. Um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Where he's like grunting at the be- in the yeah. beginning, he does, he, like yeah, he's he heavy, time. he's grunting yeah. so hard you could hear it like throughout the whole piece. He's yeah, it's like, great. <clears throat> yeah, he's <laughs> yeah, it's really good. That's a that yeah, and uh, a bass player as well. To, so to have a band that's led by the bass player yeah. is always interesting. Yeah, you didn't really like that Mingus album as much, and you gave it to me. I was like, I love this Mingus album. I love Mingus. It, re- yeah, it reminded I, me of yeah. um the a lot of like uh, the Sun Ra stuff I yeah, I was listening avant-garde. to. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's good. It's, it's melodic, just it's strange. not it's not a go to, you know. It's not a yeah. go to. If I, I I like I like I like records that are good for a dinner party. Do you, <laughs> you know what see, I mean? well, like I, a blue train, a kind of blue? Do, like have a, you ever listened to uh, Money Jungle? No. Uh, Max Roach, um, Duke Ellington no. on piano, and Mingus on bass. No. That is a record, man. You want to no. hear Charles Mingus try to like aggressively get Duke Ellington to play? Like on that level that Mingus is on, it, that's a great crazy record. Uh, also, Dave Brubeck. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's Time a th- that's Take a great that's a, a great introductory jazz record. Gets Gilberto Bossanova album. Oh my god, yeah. I didn't even think of that one. That's no. another great one. Yep, yeah. Gets Gilberto. Uh, definitely. Um, Time out. Time out by Dave Brubeck. Mm-hmm. Take five and uh, Blue Rondo a la Turk. Yeah. 
That was a bit that for a while. That was the biggest selling jazz album of all time. Ramsey Lewis trio. Luke oh and yeah, I were talking about him off of Mike. Um, good like pop jazz. That's like early sixties. The in crowd. Check out that the record. The, that's that's a one. great like so. That's just a great like boogie woogie jazz yeah. getting down like. Yeah. Um. That I love that record too because it's like totally like the the college kid like cool intellectual mm. music of that moment in the 60s and so i really like listening to it for that reason mm. it definitely has all that weird like yeah. on yeah. campus vibe did we say herbie hancock no herbie hancock see you i'd say i don't know if her it's a watermelon man that's pretty that's yeah. pretty standard yeah because that i mean for as far as that song goes i know people who have do not listen to jazz at all and yeah. they're like oh mike you like jazz i'm like yeah they're like hey, watermelon man right herbie hancock i'm like oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Dude, uh headhunters that album i heard a um oh watermelon man's on an early 60s album too right, right. by him yeah. i heard a manfred man cover of watermelon <laughs> man, man from the man. 60s which is pretty uh yeah. pretty cool we I didn't mention that. any vocal jazz but if i could say some vocal jazz people to check out um anything ella fitzgerald anything sarah vaughn and Chet Baker, Chet Baker sings, I think is the name of the album. Great record. Where he sings My Funny Valentine. And he's a trumpet player. He's that cool jazz, that West Coast stuff. So uh, he sings on uh, about half of the tracks. Um, but that's a good one from, like I think, mid-50s or late 50s. You know who my favorite jazz vocalist is? Frank Sinatra. No, guys, <laughs> come on, you guys, you guys give me Tony sh- Bennett. You guys give me shit all the time for this. Oh. My, my favorite. Oh, Alan. Mose oh, Allison. Mose Allison. That's right. Mose Allison is my, my favorite. Yo, I was, listening, I was listening to a podcast with Don Fagan oh, from oh, Steely Dan, and he was talking about his favorite jazz vocalist. The first one he named Mose Allison, Allison. and I was like, "Fuck this guy." <laughs> <laughs> Mike, I can't do it, man. Mike and Jeff give me shit about my, one of my favorite artists of all time is this dude named Mose Allison, and he's too country for the jazz people and too jazz for the country people. And country he just, jazz, really. He falls in this the middle period, and I love it. Uh, he but, sounds like the the guidance counselor from South Park. What's yeah, his name? Oh, Mr. Mackey. Mr. Mackey. Bad. Not my bag, but I'll give it to you. I mean, bad, you know, baby. instrumentally it's there, but I just yeah. can't do the voice. It's so tough. I love it. <laughs> also, it's probably because I'm a huge Who fan, which is why I really like Mose Allison so oh, much. Yeah. Young Man's Blues, Parchment <laughs> Farm. Young uh, Man. Eyesight to the Blind. <laughs> is Mose Allison in the room? <laughs> <laughs> Young Man, oh. ain't got nothing in the wood these days. <laughs> I wonder if he talks like that. Good morning. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. You know why I really like him? Well, this is why. Because he gives an air of, like, Mark Twain-ness that I enjoy. Like, um, you know, I don't know if it's like, um, it's the intellectual thing where it's like jazz is kind of on that intellectual level, but it still has that, like, really simple country lyric Mm. that's like bluesy and it combines yeah. the high um what am i trying to say it has that high artistic value of jazz but also has the what people wouldn't favor as high art as like country music blues yeah and blends them together in such a perfect way that i really 
enjoy. It's like, a, like a tuna fish and chocolate sandwich. <laughs> no, that's exactly it, though. That's exactly it. That's that's why I like it. That's well said, man. That's exactly why I like that. Tuna fish and chocolate sandwich. That should be the name of the episode. So check these albums out. All yeah. all good introductory jazz albums, and really like. I mean, I don't know. Probably the same for you guys, but like, I I listened to two or three jazz albums, and I was just like down the rabbit hole. And I listened to five hundred jazz albums. Oh so, yeah. So get into it. There's a whole world there, and we are we're just talking about music that was basically like pre nineteen seventy. Yeah. I mean, in the last fifty years, there's been a lot of great stuff. So yeah. Yeah, we literally didn't throw out one record that was made past. Yeah. I don't even. Headhunters was seventy two. Seventy two. Yeah, yeah. So it's like. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, this is the golden era of jazz, really. The, late, the one that yeah, we're talking about, you know 50s, what I mean? Like, 60s, yeah, late 50s, yeah. early 60s. So, yeah. yeah, definitely check them all out. I mean, anything that would be categorized as like cool jazz or mm. blue jazz or jazz blues or. <laughs> <laughs> You'll probably enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. So, Prestige, Blue Note, Columbia, Columbia, Verve, Verve, Riverside, Impulse impulse yeah all all great record labels so if you see any any albums on those record labels chances are they're probably pretty good but uh but jazz isn't for everybody i mean we've talked about it on the podcast before where luke has weaponized jazz in a way of being like (laughs) (laughs) of being like oh the person that i'm with doesn't like really does not like jazz and i'm mad at them so i'm gonna put on fucking live at the village vanguard john coltrane and just really make the vibe real uncomfortable in this room before we go real fast though what is it about jazz do you think that may it really does agitate the shit out of some people yes i've seen it i've seen it it's create it's the it's the amadeus quote too many notes too many notes the the human ear can only hear so many notes in one evening yeah but even i've seen that's what it is i've seen people get mad at like cool jazz like just simple jazz like yeah, like, but people know. people get upset, like, to the point where it's, like, they get, like, really agitated and on edge, and it's, yeah. I don't know what it is, but, I mean, I'm like, you guys are is. missing out. This is, like, the greatest yeah. book you've never read. Yeah, I think the thing about jazz is that, like, jazz is not afraid to give uncomfortable chords, and I think people just like, like, nice, comfy, like, yeah. the layout of the music, like, nice verse chorus verse brit you know and but that jokes on them because jazz is that way jazz yeah. has you know there's moments for improv like improvising but really it's 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 fairly structured uh, obviously you get into certain types of jazz that it's just like what the fuck is going you're, on you're but. probably right though because like you said like the sour note thing uh, like for me i search out art that does make me uncomfortable um like it's like how people watch horror movies i can't stand to watch a horror movie because that makes me very uncomfortable in like a lot of ways um could they yeah. overt violence of it but like see like a sour note making me uncomfortable i'd rather um like delve into like uh the scary situations of life that way as opposed to the overtness of it does that make sense because yeah, i think I, you're right that might be like something to do with it well and i think it, the fact that it's instrumental too do you know what i mean like so you really it's it's you have i mean not obviously not all we just talked about vocalists jazz vocalists but i'm saying with the main things that we're talking about is instrumental jazz and i think jazz causes the listener to maybe sometimes have like some really deep introspective types of thoughts and maybe <laughs> at least for me maybe i yeah, don't know or like evoke emotion yeah right so i think that pe- people up. people might yeah, have a, well no. yeah i think people might have a hard time with that people might not really want to think about like life in that sort of a way as much as 
you know, to throw on, you know, top 40 radio and just listen to like a pop song. And if it, listen, if that's where you, you get the juice, then that's cool. There's nothing wrong with that, you know, but I think jazz it's, it's a little bit more complicated. It's, than uh, that. it's worth the squeeze to go with your, uh, well, and I, I, I think there's a misconception about <laughs> jazz too, because I think most jazz is very planned out and orchestrated and like, especially listen to stuff pre 1960, it's like when you have a 17-piece 17, 17 band, you have to be playing your specific part. Right. Incredibly. But people have this idea that jazz music is like the drums are like, and then the bass is just like, and then it's like four people just playing whatever they want to be playing. You know, they think about stuff like Bitches Brew, where it's just like this art concrete type of like avant-garde thing, and it's all the pieces are glued together, and it's everybody's kind of just all over each other, and... That's not really what jazz music is. Most jazz music is this very orchestrated, like arranged stuff. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, if, if, but that's the thing. If if you know someone who doesn't like jazz music, now it's very easy to be like, well, listen to these ten records and then tell me what you think. For yeah, but I think for jazz, it's like you have to make up your mind. You have to buy in. You know what I mean? You have to be like, I'm going to genuinely try listening to jazz. You know what I mean? Like I don't, I I don't think somebody who like listens to. I don't even know if you gotta buy in. I think just it's something. Uh, like like I said, it was it could be as easy as you watch Charlie Brown and you're like, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. True. You know? True. 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 And some people just want, you know, people's tastes are all different. Yeah. And again, no shame in the game. If you don't like jazz, though, you ain't no friend of mine. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, this has been getting the garage. And just remember to. You like have us. any music news? No, I don't have music news this. I don't have any music news this week. What's the status on uh, Three Dog Nights' dick? Uh, well, still blown still apart. Blown apart. <laughs> it's in pieces. He's uh, he's he's currently recuperating in the ICU. <laughs> they're gonna take some. They're gonna take. They're gonna give skin grafts from his leg and reconstruct the penis. Not the ICU. The IPU, the intensive penis unit. What was his name? What was his name? The the one that actually his dick actually did. Dickless, d- Dickless, Dick, Dickless, Dickless Dave. Dave Murphy. <laughs> Dickless Dave Murphy. <laughs> it's just a two dog night now, baby. All right. Well, anyway, yeah. Don't two forget. two ball night. <laughs> two ball night. That's all that's left. Uh, <laughs> my God. This isn't the content you wanted. It's the content you deserve. <laughs> you deserve this. Yeah. Um, anyway, Wasted Robot Network. Don't forget to check them out on all social media platforms as well as our own. And uh, I did a podcast recently. Oh, I already talked about that last episode, the Rank Bank. Listen to it again. Well. Listen to the Rank Bank Listen on to the, the Wasted Bank Robot on the Wasted Network. Wasted Robot Network. Your mic um, agonize over the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. To be shamelessly leave Def Leppard off of his list. Don't, 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 <laughs> don't. No, we're not going to go there. Anyway, <laughs> this has been Get in the Garage. Until next time. <laughs> you keep grooving, Jazz Cats. This has been a presentation from the Wasted Robot Network. For more information and links to other shows, please visit www.wastedrobotrecords.com/podcasts.